Ready? Steady! Let's go! Whee! Where are we going, Noah? To Hollywood, Brett. What for? It's the great Hollywood adventure. But I'm scared. Don't worry. We're going to have lots of guests along the way. Like the Wizard of Oz? Even better. Yay! Let's, Let's get, get the, the show, show started. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the great Hollywood adventure. I'm Brett. And this is Noah. And today we are here with Scott Feinberg, the awards columnist for The Hollywood Reporter. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Thank you for coming. Well, well us coming for, to you. Yeah, thank you <laughs> yeah. for having us in your office. We're, we're here um, you know, at the Hollywood Reporter yes. office. It's beautiful. Thank so. you. This is uh, actually, we have two uh, sides to the office. This is the Billboard side, which is our, so Billboard Magazine and Hollywood Reporter are owned by the same people, edited by the same people, published by the same people, but they have the better uh, kind of tech stuff on their side and, and a better conference room, so we have ended up on the billboard side. Yeah. Yeah. This conference room is yeah. badass. We've got like, so. you know, there's like 16 more chairs in here, you know, yeah. so it's, you well, know, <laughs> listeners, you can just pretend you're in one of those chairs with us. Yeah. Well, it's right. funny because we were just talking about we're going to get into, uh, at some point, memorable movie scenes, and in the movie Network, you may recall, there's a... Uh, there's a scene where they clear out a, a conference room like this. It's Ned Beatty with Peter Finch, who ended up winning the Oscar for it. And he has, uh, he kind of lectures him on, I'm trying to remember what the phrase is, but it's like basically explaining to him and it blows the mind of, of, this, of this guy who's kind of a Glenn Beck-like news guy. Um, how insignificant he is in the world and how it all, you know, the world is controlled by just a few people and all. And it's it's one of the greatest monologues and greatest scenes of the movie. So if you haven't seen it, one of the, you know, terrific movie. And he won the Oscar, Peter Finch, for that. I think we just skipped ahead to your favorite yeah, yeah, Hollywood yeah. movie I, moment. I, I don't know if it's my favorite, <laughs> but sitting here in a room like this, I can't help but, but think, think about, about it. it. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Totally. Right on. Um, well, so for everybody out there listening, maybe um, you can just take a moment to kind of Tell everybody who you are and uh, and what you do. As so, at the Hollywood Reporter, which is one of the two trade papers that everybody's read in this business for like the last better part of the last century. Um, you know, there's a great interest in well, let's just say in this community in this business of the film industry uh, and and music and television as well uh, about awards. People want to. Um, People want to kind of win them for personal reasons, also for commercial reasons. And there's also fans who want to know or uh, who's going to win or try to influence it or, or uh, have somebody to root for. There's just a lot of interest in awards. Right. And a big part of what keeps our publications in business are these for-your-consideration ads that get taken out by studios and you see versions of them on billboards and benches and everywhere when you get into the various award seasons. So during Oscar season, like you, right now, right now, yeah. September through February is Oscar season. March through, you know, June is Tony's July through, uh, September is basically Emmys. And so, um, my job here is to sort of cover those seasons like a presidential race where, you know, in terms of the Oscar season, maybe the SAG Awards and the Golden Globe Awards are the caucuses and the, uh, you know, critics top 10 lists and things are the primaries where it's all in some way or another shaping the outcome of how the Academy is going to vote in the end. And people want to know that they want to track it because it's either affecting them or somebody they like or some business of theirs. And, um, and as a person who grew up and 
loving movies and, and still loves movies, it's a lot better than being the critic who has to see everything, and most of which is garbage. Right. You know, here you kind of weed out whether it's the best movies or the best TV or the best theater and talk about them and cover them in interesting ways, which can be interviewing the talent, um, covering events that they do to promote them, and obviously, first and foremost, you know, consuming and, and kind of making forming my own uh, impressions. I'm not necessarily trying to influence anyone with my own views, but based on my familiarity with past work and how these groups vote, I can give some insight into how they're likely to go over with the voter. These, these new projects will go over with voters. Right, right. W- will you say that it, it really, um, you know, there are projects that probably don't have enough push mm-hmm. or press that, that don't get the attention of, of these organizations? Oh, 100%. I mean, if you, if you can't kind of hang with the big guys, it's very hard to get nominated because what people forget is they think the Academy is sort of like God up on a mountain, and really it's 7,000 people, many of whom are still at very busy in their own careers. Others are just sort of retired and not that interested. But for one reason or another, a lot of them are only going to watch, you know, 12 to 15 movies before they vote right, of, right. The, of the contenders. And so there are great efforts made to convince them to make a certain movie the one of one of those 12 or 15 that they're going to see and then to get them to vote for it. And so if you can't if you don't have big names that are going to draw them to do that or you don't have the marketing budget to kind of subconsciously make them aware of it or whatever, it's hard to it's hard to get people to care. And I mean, a great example of this is from two years ago. There was a the best movie I think of of this decade is called Short Term 12. And it's a little movie. It's now on Netflix so people can go and see it. But at the time, it was put out by this little distributor called Cinedime. And it starred an unknown, a group of unknown people, or people that were not known to most people. Right. And I happened to see it because I cover this stuff, and and I, I'm telling you, it was unbelievable. Now, uh, and but you know, it didn't. It's like if a tree falls in a forest and no one's there, it doesn't yeah. doesn't make a sound. Right. Well, in that case, it did not. Nobody, you know, very few people ever acknowledged it. Now, though, because it's on Netflix and because the people who were in it have become much bigger because of opportunities that emerge from being in that. Mm they're on to bigger things. But if I tell you who's in it, Brie Larson, who is now probably going to win the Best Actress Oscar for this year for Room, right? she got that opportunity because she was so good in Short Term 12. So there are movies like that which <clears throat> when they... Sorry, you left the well, <laughs> well, there we go. We, we, we already, we, already have, we have predictions. <laughs> yeah. we, we have predictions. So if, if there's a, uh, Oscar pools, you know, Brie Larson. Started in. Well, it could that. be. You know, things, <laughs> things change. But the point is that she, then the guy, another guy who was in it, uh, Rami Malek, is now Mr. Robot. Ah. Um, Keith Stanfield just played Snoop Dogg in Straight Outta Compton. Um, the guy from the newsroom with the beard, I forget his name, was the co-star. So the point is... It's not entirely about quality because people can only appreciate quality if they know where to find it. Right. So or, if they, or if they actually have a chance <clears throat> to see it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, it's a lot of it. A lot of it is like word of mouth. Like when you get to see something or hear something, and, and then how it's packaged, how it's marketed. Yeah. Yeah. It, you can have the best work out there, but if no one sees it. Exactly. Right. Right. You must. You must watch a lot of movies. I watch a lot of movies. I watch a lot of TV. I watch a lot of. You know, theater. I was just back in New York doing combination of those things because you want to see Broadway, you got to go to New York. Right. Um, but I love it. I mean, I would want to do this if somebody wasn't employing me to do it. I 
you know, try to exercise so that I don't become just a <laughs> just a fat lump that that sits and watches the other people do things. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a weird job, an unusual job, but it's something that uh, I enjoy. I don't know if if you talk to me in five years and I'm like married with children, it might be a little bit difficult to be you know getting away and focused uh, focusing on this in the way that I do now, but. I, I enjoy it and I come to it. I think the, the key thing is that that I think allows me to do it well is that I came to this stuff out of a great love for the for history of, of all of those mediums, but especially film. And so when I was in, in junior high school, high school, whatever, I was going through the greatest movies of all time. I just kind of had my interest peaked and I needed lists to do that. And one of, and some of the lists that I used, were the lists of Oscar nominees and winners from the past. Mm -hmm. And so by knowing about those and knowing how the Academy responds to different kinds of movies and performances, mm -hmm. even though the membership of the Academy changes over the years, you still can get a sense of how they're going to break for stuff today. And so mm -hmm. that context, that's the thing that I can't emphasize enough. It, it blows my mind in this job that uh, so many people in this industry in positions of power, whether you go to the agencies or whatever, they're not familiar with the, with the most essential classic movies of all time and it's you know there's sort of a stigma about old movies or black and white movies or whatever but if you're going to be in this business you better get over it and it'll help you to do your job a lot better no matter what you do to be familiar with the past you can recognize you know if you're reading scripts well this is a better way to do things or you can you know for what i do it helps me to to do predictions and analysis and anyway and, it's, and they happen to be a lot of fun and interest and very interesting and uh so I right. just don't get it why people don't do it. Right. You can see the patterns and the formulas that have emerged and, and grown over the years. Mm -hmm. Right. Or so. how they solve certain certain problems that exactly. came up that yeah. now are commonplace for us to, to use in filmmaking. And, and, yeah. And even like the technology, because there's such a technology change from then to now. It's it's how does technology affect, you know, those formulas from the past? Mm -hmm. Totally. And, you know, what we've got to be kind of smart enough to do is not look at an old movie and be like, you know, it's missing something. Why does it, you know, it doesn't have color. It doesn't, or even a silent movie, it doesn't have sound. You can't look at it. You've got to judge a movie based on what it was able to do in its, you know, judge it by fair standards. In 1940 uh, or whatever, 19, let's say 1950, Sunset Boulevard or pick any, any movie. 1938, The Wizard of Oz. 39. Oh, 39. 39 oh. The Great Year. Oh. But no, but the point is like, you, you, you've got to, people are, look, there's sort of young people today, they think, God, this is so slow or slow boring. Instead of instead of looking at that at, a, at it that way, you've got to look at it and say, you know, why did they do it in that way? What you know, what were their capabilities at the time? What were they trying to do? And you actually, in addition to enjoying great movies, are going to learn a lot about the way the industry evolved, the way mm -hmm. societies evolved. Movies are the, the amazing thing that people forget about movies is that unlike every other art form. Uh, of the major art forms, this is this is really new. A century ago, these were in their infancy, and you know, uh, exactly a century ago in 1915, we had the first feature-length movie. Yeah. So it's not like you know, it's so ancient history to go back and revisit the classics. And I really recommend it. Now, there's something that you said that was really important too that that I don't want to gloss over, but it was about going back and watching. The, the the winners and the nominees. Mm -hmm. There was a reason probably, or definitely, there's a reason why these movies made it to the top. Yeah. And I think going over and, and, see, and watching those great movies and seeing them, them through the years is, is only like going to be beneficial for 
you to see that, like you said, spot the trends and figure out, you know, what is the core of that film that made it good. Totally. And, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm working on a book right now about the origins and the evolution of Oscar campaigning, the ability of people to try to influence the way the, the voting happens. Because when somebody, when a prize can impact your paycheck or the amount of money your movie grosses or whatever, people are going to do whatever they can to place the you know odds in their favor a little bit. Right. And so what's interesting is that when you look at that, it gives you some context about why some of those results happen. Like, for instance, in the golden age of Hollywood, 30s, 40s, 50s, people were under contract to a specific studio. So if you're a director for Warner Brothers and you get your Oscar ballot, what studio do you think you're going to vote for? It's not you're not going to you're not even worried about what is actually the best picture or director or whatever. You vote the studio line because it protects your job security. Right. <laughs> so right, when right. people sit there and they say how how could Citizen Kane, which everybody now regards as the greatest movie of all time, how could it have lost best picture and they come up with all these well, they didn't like Orson Welles or they thought he was a cocky guy or whatever. No, I mean that's all part of it, but RKO which put out Citizen Kane, did not have the number of Academy members that right. Fox did with How Green Was My Valley, and that certainly, that, that was a big part of it. Right. And so you got to, you know, as you go through the years since the collapse of the studio system and as we get closer to the present day, there's there's all kinds of factors like that. That So for me, as a guy who loves old movies and film history, it's, it's a great education because it's not only about the movies, but it's about the subtext of everything mm -hmm. else that was going on. Now, now, with, like, that idea in mind, you know, of, like, there being a strategy from, you know, from the producer's point of view, from, you know, the initial pre-production all the way through the casting and then the distribution and getting it out there, I mean, what would you say, how strategic is it for these producers, one, to get their talent on board? Well, I think every movie just getting put, putting it together in terms of uh, you know getting your getting your actors, getting your director, getting everybody in place is a challenge, and you know you've got to have great material or a lot of money or and or a lot of money, I should say, or whatever. You know, sometimes people do things for different reasons, but when it comes to awards movies, the things that you know are going to make a movie stand out and that they often are looking for our prestigious source source material which is why you know Schindler's List was a was a great book before it was a great movie right. you know or very you know relevant to the zeitgeist subject matter so like the hurt locker was about stuff that was going on in the world at that time and t unfortunately still is and you know there it's understanding what is the sweet spot for voters what do voters want want to vote for and and generally there's a reason that comedies don't usually win, but dramas do, and period piece, particularly period piece, historical, biopic. You know, you can go through and see the kinds of movies that do and don't generally go over with the Academy. And what a lot of people then try to do is, in one way or another, replicate that formula because they know, you know, Will Ferrell movies are great, but they don't win Oscars. So, right, you know, you right. cast Will Ferrell in a movie. And and sometimes people do, in spite of uh, assumptions and stereotypes or whatever, they will think outside the box. So, like, this year, Adam McKay, who directed Anchorman and Step Brothers and a lot of the great Will Ferrell comedies that would have never in a million years had a chance at the Oscars, they gave him the opportunity uh, a, uh, Brad Pitt's production company did, gave him the opportunity to direct The Big Short, which is a very... He, he makes it an entertaining and, in some cases, funny movie, but it's a serious subject matter. And so there's a case where they stepped outside of the box, and now Paramount is having the challenge of figuring out how do we convince people who like 
Adam McKay movies mm-hmm. to go see a movie about serious subject matter. And how do we co- how do we convince people who want movies about serious subject matter to go see a movie directed by Adam McKay? Mm-hmm. Right. So there's all you know. It's that because that is an extra challenge. There are people rarely get a chance to go that far outside of their box. And to be honest, because Oscar-friendly movies are usually movies that are original and kind of, you know, require some familiarization with what they're about, there are fewer and fewer of those these days. Because in the old days, when the Warner Brothers literally ran Warner Brothers, they could do what they wanted. It's their company. If they want to take a gamble on a movie that's original, then they could do that. But now... Warner Brothers is, and like the other studios is just one part of a giant conglomerate that has to answer to shareholders who expect them to make a profit every time they make a movie. And when you are doing something that's not just a remake or a sequel or an adaptation, which are easy sells because people already know what, what they're buying, if you want to do an original story like The King's Speech, or like, which, again, it's historical based in history, but it's it was not something people knew about. Right, right. That is a greater challenge because you then have to spend extra money and make extra effort to educate people about why they should care about possibly going to see it in the first place. So unfortunately that's why we have fewer and fewer, you know, quality movies outside of award season because there's just not enough of an incentive for them to take the gamble to make them. Now now would you say that you know, producers and production companies that are submitting these Oscar, uh, you know, Oscar-nominated movies, do they know before they even start producing the movie that they want this to be an Oscar movie? In in some cases, yes. In some cases, no. Like, you know, Steven Spielberg makes Bridge of Spies with Tom Hanks for DreamWorks and based on a Coen Brothers script and, you know, whatever. There's a... There's a they... With Spielberg, it's sort of like just mm-hmm. an assumption that yeah. unless it's a like uh, Catch Me If You Can or something, where he knows he's doing just or Jurassic World, Jurassic Park, or whatever, he right, right. sometimes does just for his own amusement. But like, yeah, there's gonna be awards. Then you sometimes then you end up with movies like Slumdog Millionaire, which nobody even wanted to make and was turned down by studios and fell apart and whatever. And it just happened to come together so well that they realized, Jesus, we can do something with this. So it. It depends on the project. I remember the 2007 Toronto Film Festival. I went there, and there was Fox Searchlight was adamant that you, you know, please make sure you see this movie called The Savages. This is going to be our oh, yeah. big Oscar contender this year. It was Philip Seymour Hoffman, I think, and Laura Lenny, and whatever. That was the movie. That's our big movie this year. Please make sure you see it. And one night, I went off instead and saw Juno, which was another mm-hmm. one of their movies, but which nobody knew about. At that going into that screening, and you came out of it, and you're like, "You guys are crazy. This is the movie that has much more of a resonance with people." And they adapted their strategy, but until, you know, in some cases, you don't know until you see how people respond to it. Right, right. Because you can go into it, you start it out, and then it just kind of as, <coughs> you know, as you as you start working on a feature. I mean, it, it evolves a life of its own. And yeah. Once I mean, we're we're discovering that with our feature, it's like, yeah. wow, it's it's way different than the original script. You know the script was there, but you know you take these journey, uh, this right. journey along, <clears throat> along, and, and it's also a very collaborative art form. Right. I mean, from pre-production to the actors to the production to post-production. Yeah. You know, I mean everything. There's so many elements. Absolutely, and that's that's partly why you know over the years some filmmakers, some actors, people have said you know they've kind of poo-pooed the Oscars because they because they say how can you say somebody's the best actor when it so much is dependent on how somebody edited the performance and how somebody directed it and you know. But at the same time, because there is such 
potential to get more people to see a movie and a performance or whatever, most people, and because it can increase your paycheck and because it's mm-hmm. prestigious, most people will not ask too many questions. But I absolutely, you know, it's uh, it's hard to say that somebody, unless people are doing the exact same performance, if everybody's playing Hamlet or something together, then it's maybe easier to judge who did it better. But right. it's sometimes apples and oranges. Last year we had Steve Carell and Foxcatcher nominated in the same category as Eddie Redmayne in The Theory of Everything and, you know, Michael Keaton in Birdman and we could go on and it's, they're apples and oranges. But, mm-hmm. you know. It's really, it really is something that is so important to kind of have that level of like setting the bar so that we all have something to, to strive for and we all have something to like work towards. Right, you know? absolutely. But, and um, it's a lure. I mean, everybody who, you know, in their, if they're being honest, who doesn't hope, you know, you can, everybody pictures themselves up there with an Oscar and you just think if they're, if, but for the opportunity this guy had, I could do that or whatever. And you know, so many of the Oscar winners or people that are competing for Oscars who we talk to say, sure, I was that kid in the shower with the shampoo pretending it was my Oscar, you know, giving an <laughs> acceptance speech or whatever. It's it's a – for on the one hand, it's just a little metal statue. You know, we can – if you go and scratch it with your key, it chips off. If it dents, you know, there's nothing in it inherently magical about the statue itself. But it, like you say, it's what it represents as a at, – you know – there's no prize except maybe the Nobel Peace Prize that is more widely known and respected in the world. Mm-hmm. And the reality is each and every one of those people had to had to hone their craft, had to work extremely hard, had to probably go through tons of challenges in, in order to get to that point. Exactly. And it's not just handed away. No, it's right. totally true. It, it's funny, like, you know, from an actor beginning their career to, to an actor who's established and trying to, you know, win an Oscar or, or move their career forward, you know, it's always hard. It's always work, and there's always something that you have to overcome. Mm-hmm. Totally. And even, you know, people say, well, what about Jane Fonda? Jane Fonda, whose father was one of the great actors, or Michael Douglas. I mean, yeah, maybe that helps you, Angelina Jolie, her dad's an Oscar winner, John Voight. Maybe that gets you in the door, but you're not going to stay there very long unless you've got something to, you know, some foot to stand on. And so right. it's a very, very, very cutthroat business. And many people who have won Oscars are forgotten. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I just did a profile this week on, on a woman who won two Best Actress Oscars, which is something only 13 people have ever done, and then decided that she wanted to run for elected office in England and spent the last 23 years in Parliament and has now just stepped down and is returning to acting, and nobody knows who she is. And yeah. this is a woman with two Best Actress Oscars, which is something only you know people like Meryl Streep and Katherine Hepburn and Betty Davis can say. So you know it's a business that where people are very fickle and have short term memories and whatever. But you know it's that's any it can only be a positive to win. Right. So covering all of these all of these stars and and, and success stories throughout your career. What do you have as, as far as like looking at looking at them and, and then sharing some advice for people who are beginning their career now in in this industry, whether it's an independent producer or a, a starting actor? Just share some advice. There. Yeah, I mean, I guess the biggest takeaway is that there's no two cases that are exactly the same. So any advice doesn't. There are exceptions to any rule or advice I could share, but. If you know, if my child wanted to become an actor or an actress, I would have to be, you know, you support them in whatever they want to do. But on the other hand, what I have seen is that your abilities only mean so much. 
because there are a zillion great actors out there who never get a chance. And the people who do get a chance, you know, there's sort of a, a bar that you first have to meet, which isn't based on all that much that you can control. You, There aren't too many people, obviously there are exceptions, but there aren't too many people in this business who aren't exceptionally good looking of a certain kind of minimum height, of a certain kind of body type, of whatever. So already before you've ever had a chance to even show what you can do, you know, you've got to kind of fit a certain mold that is changing. So, you know, we don't know what, what the body type or the look or whatever is going to be in 10 years. So a lot of it, I don't know if it, if I guess luck is the word, but you know, there's a huge element of just being genetically blessed. Then there's being in the right place at the right time. Then there's getting a role or something or a project that allows you to show what you can do. So the, the odds are very steeply against anyone in this business, in any facet of it. But uh, if you are going to pursue it, I think that you've got to just not necessarily wait around for somebody to come to you. You know, the people that, that seem to emerge out of nowhere to me are the ones who are always out putting themselves out there, taking on a project that may not pay great, but it gives them an opportunity to show what they can do or, you know, going, taking every opportunity to, I think, meet as many people as you can. The, the people that I think don't do well in this business are the people who reek of desperation. Mm -hmm. And because the people who are in a position to help them want nothing to do with that. It's we all are, whoever you are in this town, you're surrounded by people who are, are trying to make it and everybody has their own struggle. Nobody feels they have made it. Everybody always thinks there's more that they can be doing. Right. So, you know, it's, there's not, I just, you know, you see a lot of people that, you know, I, I moderate a lot of Q and A's and at SAG after screenings, for instance, right you know, across the street. That's perfect. You get to walk right, right over there. Sometimes they do it there, <laughs> but they do it all over, you know, all over town. And what I find is that the people who I, I just, it blows my mind that somebody would stand up and ask a question to Will Smith or whoever and say, you know, basically, you know, or, or let's take a director, the, you know, Scorsese or whatever, you know, can I send you a script or whatever? That's, Obviously not good. Not only will that not work, but you actually antagonize people, and you show. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to. It's you've got to show tact and class and whatever. I'm not saying that uh, never showing your script to anyone is going to help you, but there's a time and a place, and that's an extreme example, but it happens more often than you would think of people just not conducting themselves professionally. Right. And I think that nobody wants to. That that will. Anyone who you, you better hope people don't remember that because it doesn't endear you to anyone. So the bottom line is understand if you're going to get into this that it's not easy and that the odds are extremely against you and hopefully have something good to, to fall back on. And then if you are going to go for it, you got to go for it 100% in a way that, you know, is dignified. Right. And, uh, and there are very few people who have made it. And I've been lucky enough to interview a lot of them who have made it, who are just, you know, you, you say, how could that have happened? Because there's something, there's a drive. Yes, there are the genetic things that we've talked about, but there's a drive, there's a professionalism, there's an understanding of how the, how the game works. Right. And um, there's a lot of patience involved too. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's a thankless thing sometimes. You know, I, I and the, the real 
unfortunate thing is that in this town where you have to be or New York really to to really make a inroads, you are constantly surrounded by reminders of other people who are making it. That's They're, hard sometimes. And you, too. Right? It rubs yeah. it right in your yeah. face, and so that can be demoralizing. But I think that the people who see who drive by a premiere at wherever you know. Uh, Staples Center, wherever they're not the Staples Center. What's the the the, the Kodak, Kodak Theater, Kodak Theater, Theater yeah. Nokia, yeah, the yeah, yeah. whatever. Right. You drive by that and you see a red carpet and everybody else there. The the people who are who make it are going to be the ones who say that motivates me more to be there, not the ones who say why am I not there. Right. Yeah, you have to flip that switch and, and instead of being jealous and 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 saying give me a, a chance to have that, I deserve that. You've got to earn it. Right, you gotta flip the switch and say that's so incredible. Right, it's time. It's time for me to work my butt off so right. I can I can be on. It's that like going day. to the gym, and being on the treadmill next to somebody who is just ripped, and you can either say like I'm never gonna get there, or you could say that is what I, that is now I know what I want to try to do. Yeah, right. and I try to be like so, and I get it. I, you know, in di- in a very different side of the business, I see you know the same thing, and it's it's not. It's not always fun, but you gotta, you know, you gotta just kind. Of, you're either in it or you're not. You can't half-ass this. Right yeah, now, if yeah. you are, now if you are gonna heckle Scorsese and say read my script, <laughs> yeah. make sure your script is finished. Make too. sure. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't just say, don't just say read my script. Right. Because right. if he says yes, right. and you don't have a script, yeah, you know, no, that's I even mean, worse. That's right. very true. Yeah. That's very true. But yeah. congrats to that guy at least for having a script done. You know? Yeah. You, I hope he did. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know if he was even a member of the guild. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Walked in off the street sometimes, yeah. but you, you know it, it's funny what ten years can do. You know, like I, I think another part of that element, you know, for those actors and anyone getting into this business is to have an idea that they're going to commit a certain amount of time. And I mean, ten years is is a relatively decent commitment to put into this industry and to figure out. You know, one, are you willing to commit it? Because that's part of of this journey that you're going to be on because I mean I'll tell you like 10 years ago I've met some people who now I'm working with mm-hmm. you know and it's it's mm-hmm. crazy how it goes yeah. if you're actively going out and building relationships the entire time and 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 actively seeking you know good quality people to invest your time with you're only going to grow yeah and I mean I I think it was this may be laughable if I'm wrong but I think it was Michael Lewis the same guy who did the big short and and what one of these Authors recently has the has the theory that you need to do what is it ten thousand hours or whatever before you can really be an expert at something right. or really be great at something. And I don't know what the equivalent would be, you know, if it is actually ten thousand hours for somebody in the film industry or not. But the point is that you don't just the the, the worst kind of people are the ones who show up in town here and assume that they're God's gift to the world and they can't understand how nobody else sees it. You got to approach it with humility, and you're going to put in a lot of time and a lot of hard work, and that's you know that's how it's going to be. There aren't too many people who you know just show up and 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 you know there are exceptions again to every rule. Who who heard of Daisy Ridley uh, two weeks ago or whatever you know however many weeks ago yeah. before now she's going to be in the biggest movie of all time, open Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Right, and I don't know maybe I. I hope I trust that she's talented, and I hope that she's put in hard work or whatever. But you know, maybe not. Maybe she lucked out. She, there are going to be people who just luck luck out. But if you come here and assume that's going to be you, you're going to be sorely disappointed, according to the odds. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, now, since you kind of already answered uh, the movie question, if you weren't in this industry, or if you weren't in the position that you are in this industry, mm-hmm. what would be your dream job? 
Well, I, I never thought there was such a job as the one that I'm doing now when I was in college, and, and I started doing it right after college. It was very lucky that it turned out that, you know, I was basically doing a blog for my own amusement and my friends and family when I was in college, and it was stumbled upon by people in the industry, which brought it to the attention of somebody who brought it to the attention of the LA Times, which gave me my first job, not even necessarily, I don't think, knowing my age that I was just coming out of college, but they said, you're doing, you know, just do for us what you've been doing for yourself, which was great. I never, I wasn't thinking I was ever going to paid to do it. It was just something on the, on the side. But at the time I was thinking, I don't want to go to law school. I don't want to do the, you know, what a lot of my friends were heading off to do. I really wanted to be a film professor, somebody mm. that taught film history or, or whatever. I've never had a great amount of interest in making movies, but I think I studied them and I can talk about them. And so if, and my, my big goal was to get other young people to give a shit about them, which is not easy. And I thought as a film professor at a college or university, I could do that. So maybe it will work out one day that I can do that and, and what I'm yeah. doing. But well, for you, now, yeah. You are a master of, of films now. I mean, you know the history and you can predict <laughs> the well, history. Sweet of you to say. Mm. I don't know. I mean, I, I try and, and I think that, you know, there are fun opportunities in the course of what I do now that allow me to get a sense of that. Like, you know, there's the Savannah Film Festival, for instance, just happened in October. And for the last three years, this is in Savannah, Georgia, I go down there to this festival, which is hosted by the Savannah College of Art and Design, which is a great school for people that are interested in the arts. And I do a panel there. I'll do panels at AFI Fest or different things where it's essentially, you know, a form of, of teaching. And so I, what I like about journalism, though, is that rather than repeating a curriculum every year or whatever, every day is different. Right. It's that can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing, but it's never boring. And so I'm not unhappy with what I'm doing, but it would be cool to get to do that at some point as well. With with all these patterns of seeing movies and we kind of touched on actors. Yeah. Now touching on like filmmakers, I mean, do you see a pattern in, in different, you know, production groups and companies um, that continuously re release, you know, Oscar award nominated films and, and like patterns and how they work and, and why they get to where they go. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason everybody knows the name Harvey Weinstein or there's mm -hmm. a, you know, like Fox searchlights won the best picture Oscar the last two years in a row because they get how, how it works. And also they have taste in the films that they choose to be a part of, um, or associated with. So now part of that is taste. Part of that is knowing how to sell what you've got, you know, to the Academy. But yeah, I think it's, it's a whole strategy you've got a, and a whole mindset. There are places like Fox, big Fox, not so 20th century Fox, not Fox Searchlight, which is sort of a sister company that say, we'd primarily like to make money on our movies, which makes sense. That's who, that's their biggest concern. If we can win awards as well, that's great, but that's not going to be our main focus. And so that is how a movie like Avatar, which was a Fox movie, makes a lot of money but then still loses to the Hurt Locker. This year, Fox may actually reverse that trend because they have The Revenant, they have The Martian, and they have Joy, and Fox Searchlight has Brooklyn. So, I mean, between the four of them, they got probably four Best Picture nominees. But to answer your question, I think that it's not, you know, there are certain people that just get how to do this and care about how to do it. And... Um, Others don't. 
Cool. Well, as we start wrapping things up, I did have a, a sort of a follow up um, to that. But, you know, kind of as a filmmaker and with our first feature coming out, it's, it may be a, a bit of a selfish question, but I think there's people out there that, that can benefit from yeah. this. Kind of going back to how we were talking about marketing and branding and making sure that that movie gets to the eyes of the right people so that they can so that they can see it yeah. and get the most attention for the for the piece. Now we're not necessarily going for the academy. No, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> not right. not this time. No. Not this time. But really. um, what are some what are some just best practices for for marketing a film? I guess you kind of in joking about not this time you you know you're probably referring to a genre maybe of that it's not an academy friendly genre I'm <laughs> right. just guessing <laughs> yeah. correct and so for those it's different you know there actually are I think film festivals are a tremendous tool for people who are trying to make a name for themselves and obviously so are streaming opportunities VOD all of that now but the point is there's never been more of an oppor- more opportunities to get your movie seen by people if it's good. So I think that if you have a if you have a movie, you figure out which film festival which film festivals are the most would be the most uh, appropriate for it that you want to target. And again, there are some that are more friendly to genre movies like South by Southwest or there's some that are more quirky like Sundance or whatever. You know, you do your homework and you figure out what kind of movie you have and then I think you, you know, you you do what you have to to get it out there. And for many people, that's film festivals. For some people, it's just, you know, depending on your budget and your ability to do this, uh, you just put out, you know, early work. Some people That's why a lot of people are doing shorter form stuff now because it's, a, it's almost like the same way that people used to start in short films and then get an opportunity to direct a feature or whatever. It just shows that you understand how to technically do things, that you can tell a story. And to be honest... There aren't many people who are going to watch a feature from somebody they've never seen a feature from. So it's not a bad idea to have something that doesn't require somebody to devote two hours of their time to decide whether or not you know what you're doing. So I guess, again, it's a case-by-case, but you you just got to put yourself in the mindset of somebody who – of the consumer. You know, I have a limited amount of hours in the day. Why should I care about your movie or who who would be most inclined to care about – your movie, you know. Well, when we have our screening of our of our movie, we'll invite you, and you can tell us uh, <laughs> if it's an Oscar prediction. All right, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I think you should invite Harvey. Yeah, be, yeah. There we go. Yeah, there you go. yeah. Um, awesome. Well, I think let's start wrapping it up. We've got one thing we love to do is just leave our audience with a with a solid call to action before we sign off. So, well, when you say call to action, how do you mean? And whatever, however you mean, that's something to get their butt off off the seat of the car, out of the and, seat, and, yeah, yeah, uh, and get in the gym. And take yeah. the day. Yeah. I think there's never been it's never been a better time to be uh, a filmmaker. Equipment that can make your movie look as professional as any is as inexpensive as ever. The ability, as we were saying, to get your movie seen by people, uh, the, the portals to do that are more numerous and easy to access as ever. Fundraising for your movie, if you have an interesting idea, is as easy as ever with crowdfunding and Kickstarter and all kinds of things. And... Um, so what it really boils down to is take a little while to think about, come up with, and develop ideas that are actually worth pursuing, and then get you know do do what you have to do to to do it. So uh, it's out there for the picking if you're if you if you can just kind of you know put on 
Put on, on your, put on your, your berry picking your gloves. Your berry picking gloves and <laughs> some goggles. I don't know. I get a ladder. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, you could get lost on the metaphor, but you get what I'm saying. It's like don't don't wait for people to come to you. You got to go get it, and there's no reason not to at this point. Yeah. It's ripe for the plucking. Yes. Yeah. Get those berries. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome, awesome. Go grab those Oscars yes. off the Oscar tree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Scott, um, how can we? How can our audience see what you do? Read what you do? And thank you. Yeah. Uh, so all of my coverage is at thr.com/slash/the-race. Thr as in the Hollywood Reporter. You can also read the Hollywood Reporter itself. And uh, I am on Twitter at Twitter dot com slash scott feinberg s-c-o-t-t-f-e-i-n-b-e-r-g and you can listen to this podcast and, and you have a podcast right i do so actually thank you for mentioning yeah. that on award it's called awards chatter which you can get through the blog url that i gave you or go on itunes and give it a listen we have a different notable awards contender on every week so i i wouldn't even say oscar contender because we're going to continue this through the Tony season and the yeah. Emmy season and all of that. But, nice. you know, we had last uh, two weeks, we had Will Smith uh, for 45 minutes. He'd never done a podcast. Amy Schumer, who's jokes on her show that she hates podcasts, but did it anyway. Huh. That's um, you know, so there's there's interesting people every every week. And I think if you're a filmmaker, you would learn, you know, different filmmakers could learn a lot from it. Absolutely. We'll, we'll definitely put a link to that in thank the show you. notes for you. Thank and, you. Awesome. Well, Scott, thank you so much for sharing yes. your adventure with us and, the, and everybody out there. Go out and start your Hollywood adventure. Today. You have you have no excuse to pick berries. Go. <laughs> so thank you, Scott. Thank you. All right.